Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. Welcome to those who are here for the first time, and a hearty welcome back to the LCP faithful. What we do here is look at what the mainstream media feels is important to tell us about current events, politics, science, religion, and just about anything else, but we're not interested in their spin. We want to look at these stories logically, and we especially want to look at these stories as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Now look, I'm no cemeterian. I'm not one of those Bible apology guys, but I have read the Bible. Well, I've written my name in the front cover, and I've looked at the table of contents. That's a lot of books in there. So sort of hard to pronounce names. A lot of pages. A lot of pages. So I've thumbed through a copy of the Bible for Dummies before I put it back on the shelf and went to look for graphic novels. <clears throat> well, comic books, at the local bookstore. But what I do know for a fact is that God needs our help on this planet. If we don't do things, they're just not going to get done. Unfortunately, that's not so much a parody as it is a reality these days. On today's episode, first we're going to fix God's mistake, and then we're going to soften the blow. So grab the biggest bottle of Tums you can find. If you're like me, it's right there. No, 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 over there on the nightstand. And then prepare to worship the God that you've created in your own image. And before I get struck by lightning, (sighs) here we go. This is going on right now. The planet has a fever. If your baby has a fever, you go to the doctor. You take action. The planet has a fever. You dang skippy, Al. This planet not only has a fever, as you testified in front of Congress 16 years ago, almost to the day, since we've literally done nothing, just ignored this indisputable, scientifically verified fact, continued in our planet-destroying ways, the planet now is literally on death's door. We're living on borrowed time. We're staring in the face of the grim planet reaper, him or herself, or they self, A year after this, Al Gore rightly predicted that the Arctic would be ice-free by 2013. Now, I don't know if we've hit 2013 yet or not, but I think it's very clear, photographically clear, that there is zero ice at the Arctic. Well, I mean, no. I mean, yes, but not 2013, 2014. Al updated the prediction in 2009. Still ice-free. Now, in 2006, in Gore's movie In Inconvenient Truth, Al prophetically predicted that within decades... No more snows on Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, it hasn't quite been decades yet, but I'm sure the snow is gone already, you know, from the earth fever. One thing most doctors will tell you after you've had surgery or when you've been injured in a very painful manner, take your pain meds, on time, on schedule, even if you don't think you need them. See, when you have pain, the various types of pain medication will help to mask that pain temporarily. And if you take it on schedule, the pain level will increase and decrease somewhat. But if you don't take it on schedule, the pain will come back intensely. And then the normal dosage typically won't address the pain. Once you get behind, it takes more medication in order to get back on top of it again. And that's where we are with poor Mother Earth and her severe fever. Since we've just mocked Al, ignored NASA, disregarded the UN, pretty much shunned, rightly so, John Kerry and always possible, well, we're now in dire straits. And that's not the band getting money for nothing in your chicks for free. No, no, no. We're toying with doom. In fact, at the end of January of 2023, the doomsday clock, which had been set to 100 seconds before midnight, I guess midnight is doom, for three years now, it was moved 
all the way to uh, sit down for this, all the way to 90 seconds before midnight. That's, that's 10 seconds. Now, this move was due primarily because of the war in Ukraine, but the clock exists because of the threat of nuclear war, technology, biotechnology, and climate change. Well, because we're just running toward doom, drastic times call for drastic measures. And since nobody is willing to quit using electricity, quit wearing clothes, eschew all plastics, refuse to utilize fossil fuels, stop lubricating machinery, stop all of industry, eliminate manufacturing, and so many more, and just go back to the Stone Age, but no fires. Those are just earth-shattering. Well, we have to think outside the box, come up with novel ideas to deal with massive global problems. Thankfully... We have great scientists like Al Gore and John Kerry to help guide us in this process. What we know now, thanks to science, is that man driving cars, producing electricity and living in modernity, as well as cows farting and burping all over the place, like filthy animals, those are what's giving this poor, poor innocent planet a fever. And at a minor level, an almost insignificant footnote, the massive burning orb in the sky that we've named the sun, and the huge liquid heat sinks we have on Earth called oceans, well, those might have a small contribution to this massive fever, but not as much of a contribution as farting cows and cars. Vroom. That we know for sure. That said, science is apparently trying an all-of-the-above strategy, which... What else could they do at this point? We've literally tied their hands. We've openly refused to save ourselves. So science must come to the rescue once again. We all know that the real solution is to get rid of meat and everyone eat crickets and worms and various bugs and to slaughter all cows and horses, donkeys, camels, and any farty burpy animal on the planet, as well as the removal of all humans everywhere. Just leave this mortal coil, this floating rock alone. Evolution got us this far, but then it screwed up, creating, ugh, people. But how would evolution know that people would turn into this vile parasite, just heck-bent on destroying the very planet that created us? We're, we're just the worst. But luckily, as I stated, science people will at least prolong our, well, the planet's demise, which is really, that's really what's important here. Now I'm going to have to split this topic into two parts as I want to get through two, <laughs> two articles, ah, ah, ah. And there's just so much good going on. There's simply no way we can cover this in one segment. Found on NBCNews.com headline, Can giving the ocean an antacid help curb climate change? The byline states, quote, The technique is one of a growing number of strategies aimed at leveraging the ocean, which covers 70% of Earth's surface, in the fight against global warming. <sighs> now, I'll be honest. I knew by the headline that this article was going to be good. I mean, real good. But I had no idea. This is a veritable treasure trove of goodness. I mean, for saving the planet, not illogical nonsense. Clearly, I mean, for saving the planet. And we need to dive in or we're never going to get this covered. So a startup company out of Canada, or Canadia, if you're our illustrious black lesbian female press secretary, and I only name those demographics because those are the specific points they call out about her. As we know, your skin color, your genitals, and your preferred genitals are really all that's important about you. Anyway, say it with me. 
digression, a Canadian startup named Planetary Technologies is currently conducting experiments off the shores of Nova Scotia to all boil down screw with the alkalinity of the oceans. Now, a bit of a housekeeping here. Nova Scotia, for all of you plebes out there, is part of Canada and straight east of Maine. Or at least that's what Google Maps tells me. Alkalinity is a measure of how acidic or basic the water is. Now, we do know per actual science, you know, testable, measurable, repeatable, that the oceans are getting saltier and more acidic over time. As of right now, the pH level of the oceans are on average about 8.2, according to the EPA. An acceptable range for drinking water would be a pH level of 6.5, which is slightly acidic, to 8.5, which is somewhat basic. In fact, there are some that recommend you drink alkaline water, which is slightly basic water because it, I don't know, neutralizes acids in your body or something, something, something. I don't really care. I don't really like plain water anyway, so it really makes no difference to me. Now, according to a National Geographic article found on a Rutgers marine site, the oceans are getting more acidic at a rate of moving from, hold on to your butts here, 8.2 all the way to 8.1 in the last 100 years. Now, that's a larger drop than it appears because it's on a logarithmic scale, but seriously, that's not that big of a drop. Don't think that doesn't mean you shouldn't panic, though. Don't get me wrong. If things continue as they are, because of you, because of man, the oceans will get to 7.7 by the year 2100. Alec Wong, a professor of marine chemistry at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, said that because of this change, quote, you are going to start seeing calcium carbonate shells dissolve. It's not going to be that far away. So apparently this means we're going to be, quote, killing such critical shelled organisms as corals, oysters, and many plankton. The acidic waters may upend the ocean food chain. So again, a little housekeeping. If long ages were a real thing, millions of years of evolution and such, since we know the rate that the oceans are becoming saltier, and that's due to runoff, why aren't the oceans nearly or completely solid salt blocks? I mean, that's actually how the math works out over millions of years of runoff, but that's not what we see. Second, speaking of evolution, I don't think there's an evolutionary or an environmental scientist out there that would claim that for millions of years the pH of the oceans was a nice stable 8.2, and now look what we've done. Yet, per their theory, all these shelled creatures evolved and thrive regardless of the acidity of the water. So are they saying that uh, life uh, won't find a way? See, This is where I absolutely believe in evolution. If I took an oyster out of 8.2 or 8.1 pH water and just tossed it in 6.5 pH water, sure, I'm taking for granted that the shell will dissolve and the oyster will die. But that's not what's going on here. This is a very gradual change, which, per the theory of macro or micro evolution, will cause the shelled creature to change over time to adapt. The difference is that macro evolution will have them growing legs and leaving the water saying, ooh, hot, hot, hot. Microevolution says that oysters will evolve into oysters that will be able to deal with slightly more acidic water. This isn't due to a gain of information. This would be due to the fact that those creatures born with shells unable to withstand the change will die, but those that could and did withstand the change will live and go on to make baby oysters, baby creatures, passing the genes along to survive in the slight change in the pH of the water. Net result, maybe a slight, very temporary dip in the total population with an ultimate thriving as we see today. For some reason, though, the theory of evolution only works when applied by scientists and then only in the way that they apply it. 
it never works the way the theory says it'll work, which is weird. Anyway, back to our articles. Why, you may ask, are the oceans becoming more acidic? Well, short answer, you. You want your AC, you want your gas-powered cars and electricity and plastics and basically everything you could possibly ever think of right now. Plus, you or people you know do things like eat meat and you breed cows. Now, sit down for this one. It's our CO2 that we just keep flatulating into the air. That's what's destroying our oceans. Apparently, and again, I'll just take this for granted as being scientifically correct, the oceans absorb CO2 from the atmosphere. The chemistry is fairly simple. CO2 is absorbed by the water, which is H2O. That combines to make a very weak acid called carbonic acid, represented by the formula H2CO3. Then the CO3 loses a hydrogen atom to the water, creating a bicarbonate ion, HCO3, with a negative charge, and a hydrogen ion with a positive charge. Then, from what I can find and from what I can decipher, the other hydrogen apparently cracks off the remaining CO3, which is now called a carbonate ion, and the hydrogen atoms absorbing into the water is what apparently causes the water to become more acidic. So bottom line, more CO2 in the atmosphere, more acidification. At least that's the theory. So following the theory through, the more basic the water, the more CO2 it can absorb without damaging the environment. Right? Right. Now that brings us back to our first article. These scientists from Canada, as well as all scientists and sane, intelligent people everywhere, know that there's no way we humans can or will do anywhere near enough to curb the impending heat death of our planet. Now I have two responses to that. One, per the book of Revelation, that's correct. And B, the correct way to say that is that we humans don't have the ability to improve or destroy our climate and associated global temperatures that have been arbitrarily assigned to the status of perfect and correct as of right now, this very moment, by scientists because they want it to be this temperature. You know, for reasons. Not not scientific reasons, you understand. More likely, oh, I can get how much funding for a study on climate? Reasons. The follow-up to that would be, if we can't make it better or worse, why are we spending trillions of dollars forcing poor countries to stay poor and destroying the lives and livelihoods of millions, knowing it will do nothing? The answer, of course, is greenhouse gases, and the crowd says, ooh. So the theory by our Canadian company is that they'll use waste products from mines, process it ever so slightly, which is probably going to be very environmentally friendly, to turn it into alkaline powder. Then just pump massive quantities of this sludge into the oceans through existing pipes coming from wastewater treatment plants or power plants. Think of crumbling up a bunch of Tums and just pumping it into the ocean. Same basic concept. So once again, we're being told that we need to have answers in the next decade. Now isn't it funny how complete fiery doom is always just a decade out? I mean, it's always just a decade out. Every year, it's another decade out. Now, there is competition, though, for the race to the cash prize at the end of the... I mean, in the race to save the planet. I keep messing up. Another company wants to spread alkaline minerals across beaches and let the natural tidal and rain activity scoot that stuff on into the ocean. Basically, dump it out, quickly back away, hands raised, shouting, not it! You know, so when it all falls apart, uh, they can say that they just left the stuff on the beach. Nobody said the ocean had to take it. Another company wants to bury pipe deep in the ocean and use them to blast the nutrient-rich water from the ocean's depths to promote phytoplankton growth on the surface, right? Just churn it all up. And that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, I guess as good as any of the other genius experiments. 
Quote, when it comes to carbon removal, there's no silver bullet. There has to be silver buckshot. And that means that we're going to need a lot of these approaches to work, said Will Burns, an environmental policy professor at Northwestern University. Ah, <sighs> silver buckshot. <laughs> LOL. Now, this idea was tried once before, maybe 20 years ago, by oceanographer Greg Rao. It wasn't the entire ocean, of course. We might have heard about that. This was a slightly smaller scale. <clears throat> Beakers. You know, the, the little funny-shaped glass bottles. Yeah, he experimented uh, with... Uh, water inside of beakers, entire milliliters of water all at the same time. Now, he did some experiments raising the alkalinity of the water, how basic it was, and measured the resulting carbon capture ability. He patented a couple things, I guess, but his experiments, findings, and patents were just poo-pooed by the scientific community at the time. Well, no longer. In 2019, people who wanted government research grants started pounding on Rao's door, and not just people but our friendly Canadioid startup company, Planetary Technologies. So, assuming they can just take Rao's beaker experiments that are absolutely in no way representative of anything anywhere, and then scale it up to planetary level, boom, you know, just like that, I mean, what could go wrong? They've formulated a plan to recycle waste from a defunct asbestos mine in Quebec. Well, they're going to take all this waste and create pure magnesium hydroxide and just pump that garbage into the oceans. Quote, the company believes this would help accelerate the ocean's carbon uptake ability in the areas where it's used. <laughs> they believe this. Well, good. good. That's good enough for me. And only locally, though. I mean, that's a pity. How much would we have to pump into the oceans in order to just fix the problem? That's what I need to know right now. And then another fun paragraph. Let's see if you catch it here. Quote, the strategy is inspired by the natural process of chemical rock weathering, where rain, which is slightly acidic, weathers or erodes the surface of rocks and minerals and then transfers that alkalinity to the ocean via runoff. So wait, did you catch it? So the same process that's making the oceans more salty in all natural rain and erosion also erodes minerals that makes the oceans more basic, counteracting the acidification. Now, if their measurements are to be believed, again, taking it for granted, the oceans are, a, are just slowly losing the battle to stay where they are right now. But again, I have a few questions here. A, if the oceans are becoming more acidic, wouldn't that create slightly more acidic rain? And two, we know that acid rain erodes rock more quickly. Wouldn't slightly more acidic rain cause slightly more erosion, which would cause slightly more basic material to run off into the oceans, causing them to turn slightly more basic over time? And the cycle just slightly takes care of itself. I mean, that's just coming from me, a complete moron. But but doesn't that sound plausible? Just, I mean, just a little bit? But no, no, that's, that's silly. If we really push and meet all of our climate targets by 2050, you know, the Paris Climate Accords and whatnot, all of the things that we've already been told won't make one bit of difference, and this is assuming, of course, that China stops opening a new coal-fired power plant every couple weeks like they're currently doing because they're smart and not buying into all this climate nonsense, even if we do all that by 2050, we'll still need to remove an additional 10 gigatons of CO2 every year, quote, to avoid devastating climate outcomes. Thankfully, Planetary Technologies is all over this shortfall. They aim to, by 2045, so five years ahead of the drop-dead, literally, date, capture 
one gigaton of carbon. Uh, yes, question in the back. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yes, one does not equal 10. No, not even with common core math. That, that's correct. So we're still nine gigatons behind, right? Uh-huh. Okay, up to this point, we've just talked about the how and the why, but we haven't talked about the what, as in, what would screwing with the pH of the oceans do? Well, uh, no idea. But they all agree, <laughs> quote, we need to be careful. You know, public perception and whatnot. I mean, we're all still on edge from, uh, quote, that fear that stems from a scandal that erupted in 2012, right? You remember. Yet another Canadian company dumped 120 tons of iron-enriched fertilizer off the coast of British Columbia trying to, quote, fertilize the ocean. You know, by encouraging phytoplankton growth, obviously. Which they did. In fact, they created a plankton bloom, and it was so large you could see it from space. Quote, an international uproar ensued. While there was no evidence that the experiment did any harm, the international scientific community considered it a public relations disaster. I mean, you remember, right? Plankton bloom, 2012 uproar? Hmm? Nobody? Anybody? So planetary... Ain't nobody's fool. They're wanting to start slower by partially funding studies at the Dalhousie, Dalhousie, I don't know how you pronounce that in Canadian, University in Nova Scotia regarding oyster reproduction and phytoplankton growth. Quote, so far, McIntyre's tests haven't resulted in significant negative impacts to plankton growth, and he's using a concentration of magnesium hydroxide that's 10 times higher than what planetary actually intends to use. Significant. So that means that there have been some negative impacts in their miniature experiments. And yes, using a 10 times concentration, that's a good way to go about it, but still... <sighs> See, the article goes on to say, quote, McIntyre said he'll never be able to definitively prove that the antacid will have no harmful effects on marine life, but he can test how the plankton fare when pushed to extremes. Ultimately, the question is, at what point are you confident enough that there's not a problem? He said. At this point, the article turns to the legal aspect. See, we're screwing with the oceans, something that covers 70% of the surface of the Earth. If we get this wrong... I mean, that could be bad. The article states, quote, tinkering with ocean chemistry raises complicated legal questions. <sighs> yeah, 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 it kind of does, doesn't it? They state that there aren't rules about using the oceans for carbon removal, but there are treaties regarding dumping waste into the ocean. And when you come down to it, it may be treated and refined waste, but it's still waste. It's doing something that the hydrologic cycle that we all learned about in science class back in middle school is doing already. Think of this as the Earth having a natural process to deal with heat and carbon, using the oceans as a massive heat sink and a massive carbon sink. And although we've always known that the Earth has, let's just call it a natural immunity against out-of-control global warming, we decided that it needs our artificial chemical help, an injection, if you will, of an untried, untested chemical with no idea what this could do to the natural system that works just fine in the long term. Now, 
I don't think we'd ever do anything as foolish as that. I mean, surely there would be regulatory bodies and government agencies, politicians that would put the brakes on silliness like that. And if they didn't, the media would eat them alive for doing this sort of thing with no real testing, no real data to know what kind of devastating short and long-term harm it could cause. We just aren't that stupid. Remember, we're homo sapiens sapiens, wise wise man. So as they navigate old treaties, old laws, trying to figure out how to circumvent laws against dumping waste so they can dump waste and totally fix a problem that doesn't really exist and can neither be created nor fixed by man, Planetary Technologies is doing some small-scale ocean trials, trying to measure how much carbon they can get the ocean to absorb. Quote, No small feat in an ocean already saturated with massive amounts of carbon. <sighs> okay, did you catch that one? So what we know is that as the ocean absorbs more and more carbon, it becomes more and more acidic, right? And we know that in only 100 years, it dropped in pH from 8.2 all the way to 8.1, right? We further know that because of the amount of carbon we, the uncaring evolved, too far apparently, apes, are pumping into the atmosphere by the end of the century, so only 75 years, the pH will move from 8.1 to 7.7, a dramatic acidification change, right? But planetary technologies is having difficulty measuring carbon uptake because the ocean is saturated with massive amounts of carbon. So does that mean that the ocean has a limit as to how much it absorbs? Or is it not actually saturated? And they're stating that in this article in order to be dramatic, to artificially heighten the sense of urgency for the typical reader, if the typical reader even got to this point in the article. Something doesn't add up here. You can't have an ocean that's saturated with carbon to the point that it's hard to measure the absorption rate also be the same ocean that's absorbing carbon so fast that it'll make massively more acidic water in only 75 years than it is today. Uh, those two things don't seem to, um, I don't know, make sense. Do they? I mean, if they do, leave a comment or shoot me an email because I don't see it. So as I stated earlier, although we're going to need to make 10 gigatons of carbon disappear by 2050 and planetary can only theoretically remove one gigaton by 2045, if they get approval, if this works at all, if they don't destroy the oceans and crack the planet in half by doing stupid things, obviously we're, we've got a shortfall here, right? So, you know, we'll have to do all the other things that all the other groups, agencies, and governments have agreed to do, even though it's already been established that if every country upholds their commitment and does their part, it won't make a bit of difference. And not all the countries are going to uphold their commitment, which includes China and India, if I'm not mistaken, two of the largest, if not the two largest producers of so-called greenhouse gases. Now, knowing all that, the author throws in a couple facts that might have been useful earlier in the article. Planetary, quote, knows there are many who say that achieving that goal and actually making a difference in the climate with this method is a long shot, but said they believe having gigaton ambition is necessary. And further, they say, quote, this business can be incredibly successful at a couple of million tons of carbon removal, but that's not going to make the kind of difference we need to make in the world. So this is built on um, ambition, and this is, a, this is a hope and a prayer. Well, not a prayer, that's triggering, but this, this is just a hope. That's what they're saying. They're shooting for 1,000 million tons of carbon per year, but they think they can be incredibly successful at a couple million tons per year. Well, that seems like a massive difference, right? We're being snowed here, aren't we? This is, this is all just a joke. Now, I know we're not talking about COVID, but this is literally the COVID vaccine versus natural immunity argument, climate emergency version. 
First, we could debate, and it is debated, debatable, and fairly easily refuted, if not disproven, that although the climate has, does, is, and will change over time, man has very little, if anything, to do with it. Everything in this entire creation has a natural frequency, a vibration. Our very atoms vibrate. To think that natural processes work differently is an extremely arrogant viewpoint. The climate will ebb and flow like the tides. Global temperatures will rise and fall over time. Answers in Genesis believes the climate change, or more accurately, global warming and recession of glaciers that we're seeing, is simply a remnant of the Ice Age that happened after the flood of Noah's day. I think they have a very solid scientific theory and argument there. But let's play in the environmentalist playpen for a minute, shall we? The temperature of the planet has gone up and down for, per their theory, millions of years. Why? Why when Arctic ice retreats, it's global warming, but when it grows, it's crickets? Why is no snow in the mountains of California climate change, while snow at the Hollywood sign for the second time since that sign was put in place, also climate change? Why is every year the hottest on record, but nobody seems to feel it? Why are the ocean levels rising due to climate change, but when you compare pictures from decades ago to today, the levels are identical? And why, and I just heard this one today, in fact, why were there 130,000 glaciers the year that Al Gore was born? But now, today, right now, there are only 130,000 glaciers. And the second, and I've said this many times before, so I won't belabor the point, how do we know that the temperature it is right now, globally, is the correct temperature? Nobody has ever stated the science behind that determination because there is none. It doesn't exist. We want to keep it this temperature because we want it. We're literally being petulant, spoiled children. The Veruca salt of climate, if you will. Daddy, I want the temperature to stay what it is right now. Okay, Veruca, we'll spend all the money to make sure you get your temperature. See, those first two points boil down to the fact that we need to establish the case for action. We haven't done so because it's literally not possible to do so. To use the COVID and COVID vaccine analogy, we had the psychologically manipulating fear mongers come out and monger their fear, terrifying everybody, and in relatively short order we discovered, if we cared to look and to think, that this virus was nothing like what they mongered at all. So did we need to do anything drastic, like lockdowns, shutting down schools, shutting businesses down, handing out millions or billions of dollars to everyone and everything, rushing through an untried, untested chemical injection and mandating it for everyone, etc., etc.? The case was never adequately made beyond the fear-mongering. Continuing on, third, the oceans are apparently both saturated with carbon and absorbing carbon faster than ever, which is literally not possible. The hydrologic cycle appears to be a natural process that naturally moderates the pH of the ocean slowly over time, but apparently is out of control and must have human intervention to fix it. This, my friends, is a contradiction. It simply can't exist. Fourth, the creatures in the ocean have evolved over time, but they definitely can't evolve over time to adjust as the pH slightly changes, slowly, over time. But microevolution, or more accurately stated, the way they were created, literally says that creatures will adapt through the existing genetic code, and they'll be fine. Naturally, because that's how they were designed. Fifth, we must, must inject the ocean with a massive amount of waste chemicals in order to fix this, because we must remove 10 gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere. But this massive injection effort won't do that. It'll only remove one gigaton. But that's a long shot. But they can definitely remove a few million tons of carbon. So a couple million versus the needed 10,000 million. But we must pump a massive amount of waste chemical into the ocean anyway, even though it'll literally do nothing, because we must do something. And sixth, and finally, we know that a similar experiment done a decade ago caused a massive potential problem, but it was small-scale enough 
that it didn't have a long-term effect, but we know what we're doing now, so there's no way that could happen again, and really no time to do much small-scale testing before we ramp it up and inject uh, everyone, I mean, <laughs> I mean, fill the oceans full of waste sludge. Not any of this makes any sense, except that there are apparently some individuals that can get a solid amount of grant money to do something, promising nothing, delivering next to nothing at best, and they can do this for the next 20 plus years. I mean, that kind of seems like a sweet gig, doesn't it? I mean, at my job, they practically require you to work and account for yourself in order for them to pay you and allow you to continue your employment. And although there are many days that I feel as useless as this and all other carbon capture shysters and scam artists, the reality is I'm at least doing things that are making a difference both in the facility I work in and also the globe as we are an international company. Now, do you see the parallels between this and the VAX? See, the, the reality is we've totally disregarded even the possibility of a god as displayed by our lack of logic, our lack of responsibility, our disdain for creation, and our god complex that's making people think more and more that, ooh, I did this, and I can fix this, and this is not good. So let me wrap up part one here by saying this. The planet has been around for 6,000 years and endured some pretty crazy stuff. The temperatures have risen and lowered, the ice has grown and receded, the rivers have been on fire and they've cleaned themselves up, the skies have been filled with smog and they've cleaned themselves up, millions of acres have burned down and we have more green space today than we ever have. You see, from this perspective, a worldview that says that the Bible is correct, that God not only created all of this, not only holds it all together by his power, but set up the planet to adapt and heal and change and continue until its appointed hour, that's what we've seen over and over and over. So why are we thinking that right now this is the big one? <laughs> We're coming, Elizabeth. We finally overcome what God set in place and holds in balance. Well, that's an indefensible position. And if you want to believe in millions of years, if it wasn't for the supreme omnipotent God in the first scenario, your position is even more indefensible. Millions of years, masses of evolution, multiple ice ages, meaning repeated global warming events, various cataclysmic events, etc., etc., and yet the planet has survived for millions of years, and we humans are going to destroy it. Neither logic nor science infers any truth in that. Only manipulated data, agenda-driven models, and skewed simulations show that. And the predictions that come out of this climate science have been wrong, dramatically so, every single time. Okay, so this went on longer than planned, but check out part two next week to find out yet another stupid measure to counteract those drastic times. Quote, Look at what they've done to their own people. They're destroying family, national identity... They are abusing their children. Even pedophilia is announced as a normal thing in the West, and they're recognizing same-sex marriages. Look at the scriptures of any religion in the world. Everything is said in there. And one of the things is that family is a union of a man and a woman. But even the sacred texts are subjected to doubt. Anglican Church is planning to consider the idea of a gender-neutral God. What can you say here? Millions of people in the West understand that they are being led to spiritual destruction. Elites are going crazy, and this cannot be cured, it seems, but our duty is to protect our children. And we will do this. We will protect our children from degradation. End quote. Can I get an amen? Welcome back to the 45 Communist Goals for America as read by a Democrat into the Congressional Record in 1963. This is part nine of our look at their goals for us. So who do you figure said the quote I was just reading? It was just said at the end of February of this year, 2023. Now think hard. Who would give such a countercultural, anti-woke, religious statement? 
Now, this person references the destruction in the West, so maybe a pastor, say, in Africa? Maybe the Pope? <laughs> no, not, not this Pope. Would you believe Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia? Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. The fact is Putin, one of the hardcore Cold War Union of Soviet Socialist Republic hangers-on, cold-blooded former KGB officer, communist, said this to his people just a few weeks ago. But why do I start with this quote? And what did he mean? Well, if you remember from last week, we skipped goal number 27 because it was probably going to be a segment unto itself, so what was goal number 27? Quote, Infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion, discredit the Bible, and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. See, the Communist Party is not a religious party, but they do know how to use religion to their benefit. A lot of Christians have been taken in by Putin's latest speech, don't you be one of them, please. Please. He no more cares about Christianity or religion or morality than Satan does. But he does know how to reach the inner morality of his people. He does know that certain things do and don't work in society. Homosexuality, pedophilia, transgenderism, and the like are scourges on society. They are mental disorders. They disrupt and destroy people. The Soviets have no use for these types of mental disorders inside their borders. So Putin knows that one of the best ways to fight against it in his country is to demonize the West with the woke garbage we're peddling. He also knows that one way to win the hearts of a large chunk of the population in the West is to pander to the morality that's being dashed against the rocks of the Western society. Putin, or his clone, as some believe he's been dead for a long time now, is a very smart, very shrewd character. That said, as we can see from goal number 27, religion is not sacred. It's, it's a tool. It's a weakness. It's a weapon to be wielded at the right time in the right way. Now, as with some of the previous goals, I could never say that what's been done to religion in this country is as a direct result of communism or communists, but that's not the point. This has nothing to do with, it only counts if it was done by a communist. <laughs> no, this is a goal for America, and who cares how it's done as long as it's done. So this goal has a few component parts. I want to, as briefly as possible, look at these aspects. First, replace revealed religion with social religion. Second, discredit the Bible. Third, emphasize intellectual maturity, relegating religion to being nothing but a crutch. Okay, revealed religion versus social religion. Well, revealed religion would be what the Christian would call what we find in the Bible, right? The faith, the doctrines, the gospel, etc. were all revealed by prophets, apostles, and Jesus himself, as well as being revealed to mankind through creation alone. Revealed religion would be what we've always thought of as Christianity, Protestant or Catholic. Now, yes, other religions can claim revelation as well, and for the intent today, that's fine. But take note that this entire goal started with the phrase, infiltrate the churches. Not the temples, not the mosques, not the synagogues, the churches. Christianity is the only religion that uses a church, so I think it's a fair assumption to say that the communists wanted to replace Christianity with a social gospel. So what exactly is social gospel? 
Well, there are a few forms of this. In general, this is a twisting and perverting of the Bible, essentially slicing out the old angry God of the Old Testament, slicing out most of the epistles, revelation is gone, and mostly the four Gospels are kept, except for that pesky sin and repentance stuff. Essentially, they keep a form of Jesus that's non-judgmental and all about acceptance, inclusion, and love. This allows for the aborting of babies, because we must be compassionate toward the mother. This allows for homosexuality, because love is love, and transgenderism, because we're compassionate toward the confusion of the individual, etc. This allows for a church that's pro-gun control against the death penalty, and even accepting of seemingly simple things like egalitarianism, or equality between men and women in all aspects of the church, such as preaching and teaching of men, which Paul forbids. This is what causes a church to know that you have a couple that aren't married, but are acting like it, and yet they come in on a Sunday morning and teach Sunday school. This is where a lot of the compromise in our churches today come from. This is very evident in many Methodist churches today. We're seeing that played out in front of us. The Presbyterian Church USA, that's one of the most liberal churches we can find in Protestantism. And you'll even find this in a small degree, or varying degrees, in many, if not most, of the general evangelii churches out there of all denominations, and that includes non-denominational. This could be traced more or less to the seeker-sensitive movement, which really came into vogue about the year 2000 with Rick Warren and his ilk, and they decided that they wanted to do whatever they needed to do in order to get people into the seats of the church. Now, the church is really for Christians. That's what it's for, and everybody's welcome. They can come in and listen, but it will be foolishness to those that the Holy Spirit does not reveal the truth to. But Rick Warren and his ilk, they don't really care about that. They just want butts and seats. That's what's important. So if crosses are offensive to the unsaved, okay, we'll consider them gone. You want an interesting game? Go drive around your town. Drive past all the Christian churches. How many of them have crosses outside, on the sign, somewhere, anywhere? You want snacks and drinks? Well, let's open up God's Cafe. That sin and repentance talk makes you feel a little uncomfortable? Well, we don't need to talk about that. In fact, we can Andy Stanley-ize this Bible and unhitch that Old Testament, ignore most of the New Testament, refuse to defend the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible, and just focus on the man of Jesus. He was, he was a pretty solid dude to follow. You want another interesting exercise? Look at the lyrics of the popular Christian music artists prior to the year 2000 and after. I've done this. You'll notice a sharp change in style and a massive change in lyrics. Try it. I dare you. Another form of this social gospel is the social justice gospel. And this is where things like anti-racism, which is one of the most racist movements out there, and Black Lives Matter and reparations comes into play. You know, white guilt. We must atone for our white sins. The problem is there's literally no sacrifice, no redeemer for white sins. There's no atonement. You are simply guilty by color. For the rest of your life, in fact. That, however, does not mean that you're not to work for the rest of your life to try to work down your white sins. Unfortunately, there are many, many people of all ethnicities, all colors, that have bought into this lie. 
Too many churches have compromised, many of them severely, and have left the Bible for a God and a gospel of their own making. When the Bible says that narrow is the way, I don't think we have any idea how narrow that actually is talking about. I don't think we have any idea how many hellbound regular church attenders there are. And I think we have a lot of teachers and pastors who will be shocked to learn that James 3.1 not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness is true. I'm not saying this is a good thing as a judgmental thing. This is a terrifying position we found ourselves in, and it's unfathomably sad. Now, the next goal is to discredit the Bible. Well, we've already talked about some of the ways this is happening, but let's look a little deeper in this one, shall we? You can dig into poll after poll about the state of religion in the United States, and None of them are good anymore. A Pew Research poll from 2018 said that 80% of adults believe in a God of some sort, but only 56% believe in a God that's described in the Bible. This is affected by age, generally the older generation is more apt to believe, by education, generally the more indoctrinate, <clears throat> the more education you get, the more apt you are to doubt the existence of God. Your political affiliation, generally Democrats do not believe in God, which I'd argue at this point, you and have argued that uh, you can't be a Democrat and be saved at the same time. Not anymore. And yes, I know that's a sweeping generalization, but it's the same thing as being a Christian in a church that's spewing blasphemy and heresy. You could be a Christian in that environment, but you're desperately trying to figure out how to get out of there as fast as you can. You can't stay in there and claim that you are blood-bought, born-again, saved. A Gallup poll from July 2022 found that a new record low of only 20% of Americans believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. What was that communist goal again? Uh, that's half of what it was in the early 1980s. For the first time ever, more people, 29%, believe that the Bible is simply a man-written collection of stories and fables and morality tales. And 49% believe that the Bible is inspired by God. But we don't really need to take everything literally. That's just silly. Breaking out those that identify as Christian, the numbers don't get a whole lot better with only 25% believing the Bible is the literal word of God, 16% saying it's just a storybook, and 58% saying it's inspired, but not to be taken literally in everything it says. And then that same Gallup poll found that only 44% believe that religion is very important, down from 60% 20 years prior. Now you can dig around for more polls. I think you'll find the same results regardless of where you look. Now let me take off my sandals and pull off my socks and roll up my fat man sweatpants and wade into some controversial areas, shall I? This should be fun. I was actually thinking of doing an entire segment on this topic, but so many have tackled the subject. I'd refer you to dig around, listen to various voices that you trust, and if you don't know any, email me. I can tell you who I trust. Do your own deep dive. But as a general thought exercise and... Uh, Trying to be a little cautious here, let's look at a few recent very popular events in the general Christian world, shall we? The He Gets Us movement. Now, this is a heavily funded movement by some people you'd think would really vet this movement much better than they did before pumping money into it. And then some players like, uh, I'll just say it again, Andy Stanley, that isn't really shocking that he'd buy into this tripe. They paid about $20 million to run a couple ads during the Super Bowl. And for an organization that started an entire year ago... Having $20 million just to blow on a couple commercials is uh, it's pretty solid, right? That's, that's pretty good. You're doing pretty good there. 
This movement strives to stress the human Jesus. They don't necessarily deny the deity of Jesus. They don't necessarily deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven through the blood of his sacrifice. They don't necessarily deny the gospel, but they don't not do those things either. The He Gets Us campaign stays away from those squidgy topics and basically preaches a message of good works to your fellow man, but they don't share the gospel. In their commercials, they don't share it on their website, and I, I'm going to leave a link, I'll tell you more in just a moment, but apparently they don't share it through the personnel that you can contact on their helpline for more information. The gospel is not their focus. Making us feel okay about our own personal sinful lives, that's actually their focus, because don't worry about it. Jesus gets us. It's fine. This is a very dangerous, very popular organization. Next will be maybe a bit more controversial as we wade in a little farther. The recent, and I guess recently defunct, Asbury Revival. I mean, is this still going on? I, I really have no idea. Remember that this was going to be the next great nationwide revival. The fire of the Holy Spirit had fallen on Asbury University. People were overcome with the presence of God. It was spreading across the country in all sorts of campuses. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> now, I believe that some could have been saved during this couple-week so-called revival. I hope and pray that that's true. But was this a revival? Um, no. No, it wasn't. And I'm not saying that because it died out quickly or anything like that. That has nothing to do with what constitutes a revival. This was almost entirely emotionalism and the power of groupthink. I won't say mass hypnosis, but it was mass something. There are some that have said that the gospel was preached at the revival. But the bits I've seen and the overwhelming consensus is that no, it was rarely mentioned. It was mentioned, just very rarely. There were a lot of messages on works-based, you can do better, and things like that. There was a lot of singing. There was an exorcism or two. There were some that were slain in the spirit, which isn't a real thing. There are a few alleged healings, if I recall correctly, but there wasn't a lot of gospel. Now, this includes the pastor that spoke right prior to this uh, Holy Spirit anointing. He didn't say anything necessarily wrong, but his message was heavily works-based. It was devoid of the gospel, and he sort of called for a revival at the end of his message. In fact, apparently Asbury is one of the Holy Spirit's favorite vacation spots, as they've allegedly had many fiery visits from the Holy Spirit. This happened somewhat on a regular basis in their history. Now, to their credit, they kept the big-time names off the stage and away from the mic, both speakers and quasi-pastors, as well as musical artists that wandered that direction. But although others are cautiously optimistic, I'm bluntly skeptical, and I'm not afraid to state that this was not a revival by any stretch of the definition. This was a highly emotional, fear-of-missing-out-fueled, bandwagon-driven event. And so now... Let me go ahead and go knees deep into this controversial stuff here. I'm going to dare to call out the heralded, the chosen. This is probably the best of these three recent phenomena. Do, 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 do. But still, it's just not great. Although well done and well produced for the most part, very compelling due to the talent of the actors, there are gaps in the biblical account that aren't filled well in the show. They're filled in, 
They're just not done well. There are gaps that are filled in ways that would never have happened in ancient Jewish Old Testament Israel. There's apparently the very distinct theme of men stupid, women smart. You know, the current pandering that's going on all over the place. There are accounts that are manipulated in the ways that they shouldn't have been. And there are crucial themes and crucial points in the account that are softened for no reason other than to take the edge off the message to make it more palatable to today's audience. What did I say about seeker-sensitive movement earlier? Hmm. Now, why do I bring these things up knowing that I'll likely torque some people off by doing it? Well, simply because we're redefining Christianity even further away from the Bible than we have been, but we don't recognize it, and frankly, we don't really care. The He Gets Us organization gives us a Jesus we can identify with, one we like, one that won't judge us. He's a buddy. The Asbury Revival gave so many people hope that this was it. Another great revival was starting, but this was an appeal to an emotion that fizzled out because the Holy Spirit was not in this thing, while at the same time, it mainstreamed a redefinition of what a revival actually is supposed to be. And The Chosen, the studio it's being shot at, is a Mormon-owned studio. That's fine, but I've heard, and I can't corroborate this, but I've heard that there are some doctrinal requirements that the studio places on the renters. Lines you don't cross. Like I said, I can't confirm that. The man playing Jesus is a mystic Catholic, and in one recorded public appearance, and I I would venture to say probably others, he had people addressing him as actual Jesus, to the point that he had to remind them that he was just an actor, not actually Jesus. Now, I'm sure some people were addressing the character, but some people, some people didn't sound like they were addressing the character, they were addressing the Messiah himself. Now, the series manipulates the biblical account. It utilizes a Jew and a Catholic to assist in the writing, and they get some things very wrong and others somewhat twisted, and then, like I said, they fill in the gaps with implausible scenarios, actions, and dialogue, while cutting out very important accounts and scenarios. The problem we have today is that we don't want to rock the boat when we're being spoon or bottle-fed the Bible through an engaging TV show or simplistic emotional message or a nice life application. I mean, why do we need to go to church or read our Bible? We're getting everything we need right there. And humans in general, and this heavily includes Christians or at least those knowledgeable about the Bible, we tend to fill in the gaps with our own knowledge. We don't worry about a poorly delivered sermon. We don't worry if we're not given all the information about an account in the Bible. We're okay if the gospel isn't proclaimed alongside the law. We subconsciously know the rest of the story. So in our minds, we just fill in the gaps. That way we can give the whatever the benefit of the doubt and assume that it's just fine. It's good. It's great, even. If you know the Bible well at all and you watch The Chosen, go back and watch it again. See how many gaps you fill in because you know, per the biblical text, what really happened. See, we can be okay with the show not being super accurate. We know what that meant. But for someone that doesn't have biblical knowledge, any of these could realistically condemn them to hell as they just believe what they're being told. This take it at face value without the ability to fill in the gaps or the curiosity to determine if what they're being told is true or not. Sounds good. Feels nice. Must be right. Oh, Jesus gets me? Well, that's super. I felt really warm at that revival. That must mean that the Holy Spirit is with me. So this is what the Bible says. Huh. Well, I could watch this whole series again sometime later. 
This is why I believe that these three things are especially dangerous. They give the appearance of Christianity, but how Christian are these really, and how misleading and dangerous are they? My personal opinion, take it for what it's worth, I think that Satan is taking a new tack. Uh, We've got what most of us recognize as the crazy charismatics, and I'm not talking about those that simply believe in the continuation of the miraculous spiritual gifts. I don't happen to believe that, but some people do. No, no, no. I'm talking about those that are looking for angel feathers and gold dust falling from heaven that claim these weird prophetic dreams that are searching and proclaiming the hidden biblical code, or those that seem to have frequent flyer miles to heaven. But that's kind of getting old and tired at this point. They're easy to spot. This latest barrage that we're seeing is what I believe to be the modern-day version of, did God really say? And the problem is, we either don't know, or we quote what God said incorrectly, or we just don't care. These, I believe, are very subtly dangerous. Now I'm going to put a link, like I said, to a podcast by WWUTT, When We Understand the Text. Pastor Gabriel Hughes has done some excellent work here looking at these three things and has given some very good objective reviews and findings. He's not the only one that I've listened to about these things, but he has done some very comprehensive work. I'll throw the link for that podcast in the notes, but be aware that he's done more podcasts on these topics than just the one I'm linking to. In fact, if you go to that link and you start scrolling down the page, it'll load a more complete list, and then you can do a Control-F and do a search for Asbury or Chosen or He Gets Us. Listen to what he's talking about in these podcasts. It'll be worth it, I promise. But just please don't take these or me or anything or him at face value. Do your homework, look into the claims, look deeper into what you're being told, fight your tendency to just fill in the gaps with your own knowledge, and put yourself in the shoes of a baby or a non-Christian. What are they being taught? Okay, let's move on. Like I said, I could do a segment on this. We could spend a lot of time here. That's not my intent. The last part of this goal was to, quote, emphasize intellectual maturity, relegating religion to being a crutch. Ah, yes, the old trope of... They had to have some reason why thunder was so loud, so they decided the gods must be, and then fill in the blank. Remember what I said. The general trend is that the more education you get, the less likely you are to believe in God. Now, does that mean you become more enlightened or more deceived and indoctrinated? I'd argue, correctly, for the latter. Now, this can be summed up very briefly and simply. The fact is, both evolution and Christianity, or pick a religion, are religious. They both have evidence that can be interpreted in the light of their particular viewpoint. Neither are 100% provable as we stand here today. Both require faith. Both have a worldview of how everything started and where it's going, etc., etc. Although there are scientific aspects in both views, neither of them are scientific by nature. That said, evolution is considered science and can be taught in schools. Christianity is religion, and never the twain shall meet. To believe in evolution is scientific. To believe in young earth, biblical creation, is backward flat eartherism. Science is held up as the supreme force in the universe. Faith is local yokelism clung to by small-minded hicks that don't know no better. As many of my episodes have focused on the alleged clash between so-called science and the Christian religion, I'm not going to delve into this here. I think we can all agree that, yes, religion is looked upon by the masses as a crutch to be used by a small-minded, backward people, while the sophisticated believe in what has been classified as science. So did the communists accomplish their goal? I don't know who did it, but 
Maybe they had a hand in it. Maybe we did it to ourselves. Likely a combination of both. But the reality is this goal is a slam dunk for the communists. The churches have been infiltrated and have been made a mockery. It makes one wonder what Jesus would have to say about our churches would he write them a letter as he did those mentioned in the book of Revelation. I wonder how secure our lampstands are. Anyway, we can easily give this goal to the communists, putting them at 20.5 of 28 goals accomplished. That raises their grade one more percentage point to 73.2% accomplished. Nearly three quarters successful at destroying our country. And it's only taken them 65 years. Ah, but we're not done yet, are we? We still have 17 more goals to cover, but not today. That would be silly. So join me next time when we continue our look at the 45 communist goals for America. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review, share, and all that podcasty stuff. Contact information can be found in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to me. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.